Amen. Now hear the words of our Lord. I'm going to be uh, preaching from uh, Psalm 99. I'll be reading from the first three verses. We'll be going several other places as well. This is Psalm 99, verses 1 through 3, and these are the words of God. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Let us pray. Father, take this, your word, and instruct us all, every man, woman, and child, in the only way we can truly be instructed, any one of us, and that is by means of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask you to do this, believing the promises you have given to us, and all to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this sermon this morning is inspired by stats, by the statistics that were given to us at the last households meeting. I was told at that households meeting, going through the directory, that we have 46 children in the service between the ages of zero and seven. They're coming for you. (laughs) Watch out. (laughs) That's nearly a quarter of the people that are sitting here in this room. That's nearly a quarter of the people, and that's just zero to seven that that are here. That's what made me think we should talk a little bit about children in the worship service and instruct us all in this. And, and, and I, I want to talk about um, children in the worship service to a number of you who think it is completely normal and regular, because we've been a church for over 30 years now. Some of you grew up in this church, always in the worship service, always with your parents. You actually think that's normal. <laughs> It's not today. It's not today at all normal to, to grow up going to church, sitting with your parents, sitting with the congregation before the Lord uh, in the service of worship. I also will make one other, one other note. I know a m- number, number of you are probably thinking, oh great, he's going to talk about um, ch- how, how to deal with children in the worship service. I won't be in the service. I'll be out with my children most of the time taking care of this, that, or the other thing. But it's not directly for you, moms and dads, and it's not directly even for the kids, although it's for all of us. It is really to preach, what does the Lord have to say about this assembly, this gathering together? Who does he call, uh, who does he call to be in his presence, and what's going on? One important distinction in the American church in the 20th and 21st century has been the encouragement and sometimes requirement of keeping little children out of the worship service. There are some churches that you go to that the, that the, um, uh, the ushers act like bouncers, actually, and if you don't reach a certain height, you're asked to go to another room. And I'm not, I'm not kidding about that. The, the encouragement can be very, very strong. You can walk into a church, literally, and see a sign as you walk in that says, cell phones and children, we love them both, but not in the worship service. Please send them over here or over there. And this happens all the way up until, until you get into even to teenage years where the people are directed off into their other churches, their other services of worship. Now, this is, this is very unique to the 20th and 21st century. That's not what was understood. That's not what was practiced in the church um, before Jesus came and after Jesus came until the late 18, early 1900s, and then on. And it's a natural outflow of our radical individualistic way of thinking 
about ourselves, about who we are. This is connected to the philosophies, the secular philosophies that permeate the West, Western thought today and particularly um, played out in America. And so we don't think about them being members of a body as much as we think about being individuals with our own, our own individual relationship with God, our own individual relationship with the world. And we don't think about being united as a part of members of the body of Christ. We also don't think about what this service is all about. So all of this is a natural result of the pragmatic view of what Sunday worship is for. We think that what we're doing is we're coming here, and we're coming here, and then we're going to have three songs and a lecture. We're going to learn about our older brother, Jesus. We're going to learn some things about our older brother, and then we're going to go out and, and apply some of those things in our lives. It doesn't cross our minds that we aren't coming to learn about our older brother. We are coming to be with our older brother. We are coming to be in covenant renewal with our older brother and his and our father by means of his Holy Spirit as he summons us into these, into these courts. And, and if that's true, that really changes everything in terms of how we think about what we're doing here. So, the, um, and uh, there have been some, there have been some who have said, uh, we really, we want family integrated churches. We want to make sure that all the families are all together, but they don't think, they're also not necessarily thinking about what we have been called to. And you can walk into some really bad examples of family integrated services where the children just run wild. There's just, there, there's no sense of order. There's no sense of what is supposed to be going on in, in the worship service. Or you can oftentimes go into services where the, the kids are segregated in different rooms. And if you went off into those different rooms, the kids are running wild there as well. Because they're, they're not being trained and not being taught. They're not being brought up in the faith of what it means to come before the Lord in, in, in the worship of his name and, and before his face. So, um, if we, however, if we think covenantally about the church, as you were instructed to do in the call to worship this morning, if we think covenantally about the church and about families, and if we consider the biblical and historic basis of the public gathering of God's people, why did God summon us to be here? It becomes clear that our children should be with us as we, become, as we come before the Lord, as we come before our Lord as we come before their Lord. And so our decision to have children in the worship service, to have nursing babes in the worship service, to have children and children's children in the worship service is not about our preferences. It is not about our preferences. Heaven knows that having children and children's children in the, in the worship service, there are oftentimes many challenges for families, parents with many little ones. It, it's not about preference, although once you understand what's going on, it, it, I, for most of us, I hope it becomes a preference. It is what we, what we delight to see happen. But it is because we believe from the scriptures, this is what God has called us to do. Now, first, before I talk about having kids particularly particularly the kids in the worship service, I want to set the context with this passage and a couple others. I want to consider where we are. Where are we right now? And, and as I think about it, I've, I've thought about how hard it is for Providence uh, employees and Providence kids to think about where we are right now. What do you mean? We're in the school building. I, I come in here and do indoor recess. We have assemblies and art projects and science. What, what are you talking about? No, that's not where you are. 
See, that's not where you are. I, I also could think about as we were doing confession of sin, and we, and we finally um, started uh, in, encouraging in our liturgy, we changed our liturgy so that we actually kneel uh, as we confess our sins. And most of you went, great. We come into a room that now has nothing but cement or tile, and now you've decided we're going to get on our knees. Why couldn't we have done it back in the carpeted rooms that we were in beforehand, right? And so it, it's, or you look up, look, lift your eyes to the Lord. And, <laughs> this is why we're praying for a building. <laughs> no, we'll get to that too. So where are you right now? What has happened when you've been summoned by God to gather with his people, his brothers and sisters, on the Lord's Day? What, this, what these verses and many of them tell you is that you are not just simply in a building. You are not just simply among a group of people that are also Christians. You are not just coming to hear about God. You are coming into the presence of God in a particular covenantal called way. So in, in, this, in these verses in Psalm 99, we are given a, pi a picture of the reigning Lord. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. So he, it says that he is in Zion in verse 2. And Zion refers, refers both in the scriptures to the place where God gathers his people in worship. So Zion is, is used as a picture. Mount Zion is a picture where we gather to be, where we're called to be with God. But it also, Zion is also the, referring to the covenant people themselves. Zion, when it says he has come to dwell in Zion, it means he has come to dwell in our midst. It, listen to Psalm 97, verse 8. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. Zion hears from God. In Isaiah 1, 27, it says, Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. Those who hear the word of God and respond, those who, re, those who um, hear are convicted of their sins, cry out in faith, are, are blessed, and they are Zion. We are Zion. So when God comes and he dwells in Zion, he is coming and dwelling in the midst of his people. He is, it says also, he is in the Holy of Holies. Again, in verse 1, it says, he dwells between the cherubim. And all Hebrews, all Israelites, when it says that he dwells uh, between the cherubim, you might first think to yourself, oh, he's up in heaven. And it's true, he's up in heaven. But where would they think about the cherubim where the Lord sits? Well, that would be in the Holy of Holies, sitting on the mercy seat. Sitting on the mercy seat, because he's a God of mercy, is where God dwells. Where he dwells underneath the praise, the, the praise of the wings of the cherubim over him. He's dwelling between there, and from there, from that mercy seat, he speaks with and to his people. And when he does so, it says, the, the earth is shaken. It says, let the peoples tremble. Let the earth be shaken or moved. Because, and then in verse 3, let, him, let them praise your great and awesome name, for he is holy. This place is holy. This place is spectacular. He is holy, and therefore it says we are to praise his great and awesome name. And awesome is translated in the uh, um, authorized version as terrible. He, we, let us praise his great 
and terrible name. The earth is shaking around us as we gather in the only stable place that exists, and that is before the mercy seat of the God of all nations, the God of all peoples. That's where we are. In fact, um, so, so we are Zion, and we have come to Zion to this holy convocation. You see, in, in our day, we have been, the church has been instructing the people to come casually, to come lightly, to come to be entertained, to come, as Paul warned Timothy, to have your ears tickled. Rather than to understand that you, are, you, have, you have been brought into a place that where there is holy and reverent worship taking place. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Because uh, Paul, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, is, is talking and using this exact language as he writes to Jewish Christians who are tempted to go back to the temple. And as he, as he, the whole book of Hebrews could be summarized this, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. You don't need to worship them. Jesus is greater than the, uh, the, the Aaronic priesthood because he is the priesthood of Melchizedek. Jesus is greater than the Levitical sacrificial system because his sacrifice is once for all. Jesus is greater than the temple back in Jerusalem because he is the temple. Jesus is the greater rest because Joshua had promised that there was still a rest for us to enter into. Jesus is greater. And so these, these um, Hebrew Christians who aren't, going, who aren't in Jerusalem, who are tempted to go back to that glorious sacrificial temple, are being warned not to because that place is about to shake down. That place is about to shake down under the word of God. And so he says, um, he says you, you, are, you have not come to the administration of Moses' old covenant system. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if, was, if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You have not come to that mountain, that mountain where the old covenant system was, was brought forth, that, that eventually brought forth the temple and all of the sacrificial systems. You haven't come there, and that place was a shaking, mighty, great place. But, he says, you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come to a greater mountain. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So we're told that we have come to a much greater and more fearful place than when Moses gathered God's people at Mount Sinai, delivering the Old Covenant administration. This does not, this, these verses are not talking about your personal devotional time. Okay? They're, they're not talking about what happens when you open your Bible and are praying to God. That, that is a personal devotional time. God is there. God's spirit is there. Great things happen. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, in contrast, from old covenant uh, convocations to this new covenant convocation, which is a public assembly before the living God. 
So um, he, he's, he's saying this is this convocation of the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. This is why elsewhere we are told in the book of Hebrews that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's not just that there's going to be a really good message. It's about you are going to be with your people before the king of kings. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. As much as it depends on you, don't miss this holy convocation. In Lord's Day worship, we are gathering in covenant renewal before the Lord at Mount Zion. And so, in, uh, in, the, in the next verses, in chapter 12, <clears throat> we are told that, just as in Psalm 99, the Lord speaks, and what happens? The earth and the heavens are shaken. And we're warned, then, to approach with reverence and godly fear. Let's uh, continue on in chapter 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. And if you think about the context here, folks, it is true that, that, that this happens all the time when we gather together, that things are shaken. But as, as, as this writer is writing, Rome is, is setting itself up to come against Israel, or come against Jerusalem in the temple. And it's only a matter of years until there will be this great, man-made, God-ordained earthquake upon the temple. And it will be completely shaken down. It's all going down. So this is what he says. This once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And Zion cannot be shaken. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God, that is, worship him, the word is, worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for he is great and awesome and terrible, right? For our God is a consuming fire. So this should change and shape the way we think about what we are doing as we gather here. Frankly, it should change and shape the way you prepare to be here as well. It should change and shape the way you carry from here into the rest of your week what has happened here. There should be echoes of what took place here that follow through into your personal devotions, that follow through into the way that you are now going to deal with employers and employees, with relationships that you have, with the gifts and callings that God has given to you. So, we are, we are told to do this. Now, how in the world do you come to believe that as you look up at the rafters, as you look at the floor, as you remember that this is a day that you, this is only one day of the week and the other days of the week you're in here doing all kinds of other things? Well, we only come to believe that we are in the company of angels before the throne of God in this assembly by faith. Hebrews 11 gives us the answer. Hebrews 11, if you turn back one chapter to 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You cannot see the angels. You cannot see the great company of all those who have come before us who are registered in heaven, who have joined in this holy convocation. You cannot see them. But faith is the substance the ability to see what you cannot see. It is, the, it is the evidence before us of things not seen. 
People do and believe the strangest things when they have been granted this evangelical faith. They believe they are in heaven. They believe that they are before Jesus. They are at the the mercy seat. They are with all of the angels. They are with all those who have gone before them. And it affects the way you approach the worship service and your own worship. This is not a faith that comes from within ourselves. This is a faith that is a gift of God. You can't gin it up. It comes only by, it only comes by faith. It only comes by the gift that God gives to you. And in Romans 10 and 17, that is, we're told that that faith is granted in the preaching of his word, in the preaching of his word by means of the spirit working on our hearts. And it happens particularly, mostly in the sacred assembly. Turn back one more chapter in, in, uh, in Hebrews to chapter 10, verse 19. <coughs> And see if this doesn't make these verses come alive in this context. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Not in your personal devotional times. Okay, it spills over into that. He's talking about here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, That is his flesh, the veil that was in the temple, the veil that was torn by the blood of Jesus, the veil that only the priest once a year could go through. But now we all priesthood in this new priesthood under Jesus, we together, the body of Christ, because Christ has entered through the veil, the body of Christ enters into the veil. That's what he's talking about. So, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Probably an emphasis about having been baptized, identified and marked as God's own, washed by him. We are now clean and able to enter in to him. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Probably referring to the day that that old temple is coming down. So much more you should be gathering together as you see that day approaching. Um, approaching. And then how much more once that day has approached? Because this is the gathering now. This is the holy convocation. This is the temple. We are the temple. We are Zion. And God has called and summoned us that he might dwell within, among, above, and below us. All right. That's That's the context. So now, if this is covenant renewal, it's covenant renewal for whom? When Moses called the people to assemble, In Deuteronomy 29, he called all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God. It's Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 31 says, Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children... Who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. 
In holy convocations throughout the Old Testament, the children were brought in. They were present because the promises were for us and to our children and to our children's children. They were instructed to grow up understanding at whatever level they were that the promises were for them and to respond accordingly, mainly by faith. You, you can find similar language if you go to Joshua chapter 8, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Ezekiel 37, Nehemiah 12, Joel 2.16. I'll leave that to you if you want to go and see that over and over and over again, God calls the children to be with the men and their wives before him in, the, in these holy meetings. God's covenant promises belong to you and to your children and to your children's children, Ezekiel 37. And then we see in the New Covenant, this, this idea just continues straight on. Paul, when he's writing, he, he will write in his epistles, oftentimes, to the elect, to the chosen ones. And, and he will write these epistles to these New Testament churches made up of Jews and Gentiles. And he will give, he will give general um, instruction to the entire church. And then oftentimes, in his epistles, he turns and he dresses, addresses the wives, and then he turns and addresses husbands. And then he turns and addresses fathers. And then he turns and addresses children. He doesn't say, and now, would someone go get the kids out of children's church? Because I have a few words for them as well. He understands, he expects the children are there. And so children, you are told, you're, you're to be instructed and you are to be instructed directly from the pulpit and then through your parents. Um, and as you grow up with one another through the teachings, how, how am I to apply these things for me at, at the level and the age and the frame that I am right now? Children, here it is for you. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And the promise is going back to the old covenant promises, which are now yours. Here's the promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You are to obey because there's great blessing in obeying. You are to honor because there's incredible blessing in honor. You're not to receive the law as just, as just gravel to, to shove in your mouth and chew up until everything starts bleeding. It, it, you are to receive God's law with the, grace, with the grace of faith, believing that as I walk obediently before God, as I confess my own sins, as I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as I grow in my own faith, the blessing are going to be mine. I will get to be a part of this covenant community, this covenant community that is going to exist forever and ever in eternity. And I get to be a part of it. You are to grow up learning and understanding that all the days of your life. In this service of worship, all the covenant people of God are brought before him in covenant renewal. Well, there was some time, even back in the days of Jesus, where the children were being kept from him. And Jesus didn't like it at all. Luke 18, then they also brought infants to him. The, the word is brephos, it's nursing babes. We're talking about very, very little children. They brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. They rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Mm -hmm. And so they, we're actually just supposed to be learning from the kids what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. We're to be learning from the kids what it means to be coming from God. And, and we want to cast this verse off and say it really doesn't matter because it, when, when he says, let the little children come to me, we think, well, Jesus isn't here. 
We're just talking about Jesus. No, this is, as I said, this is the holy convocation where we are brought to the throne where Jesus is sitting. You are to let the children come. You're to invite the children to come. You're to prepare the children to come. You're to summon the children to come and be with you before the, in the presence of God. And so, as a rule, covenant children should be present with the congregation for worship. And that means you're going to hear lots of little sounds, like that one, and lots of others, sometimes not quite as quiet and not quite as cute. But that's what happens when you have a number of children that are being trained up in the fear and admonition of the Lord in our midst. So the sound of infant voices in our midst is the sound of God's covenant blessing. The sound of those 46 kids between the age of zero and seven is the sound of God's covenant blessing. And okay, if you're eight years old, you guys are a sound of blessing too. And nine years old and all of you. You're the sound of God's covenant blessing and the sound of God being praised. In fact, being praised in such a way that the enemies are being silenced. In Psalm 8, it says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. What is going to come out of those babbles, those gurgles, those squeals, those screams? What is coming out? Strength. Strength for the congregation. Strength to do what? Strength to believe the promises of God. Strength to believe that he even works through infants to put down the devil. What do you mean puts, uses infants? Well, who was born of the Virgin Mary? An infant. And what did he do? He crushed the serpent's head. And what are these little ones going to do? They are going to join with their Lord and Savior, continuing the crushing of the serpent's head. They are our covenant warriors with us. The sound is the sound of blessing, of reinforcements of the next generation, of those who are standing with us to praise God in his courts and all over the world. That's who these children are, and that's what we want them to do. Now, if you think about this, it, it, it makes sense that when we start thinking about church architecture, for instance, that churches, when they've been built for centuries and centuries, have taken this into account. They want you to think that architect, architecture speaks, ask any architect, Architecture speaks. It tells you things. And so the historic church shape, outside and inside, is supposed to direct our attention to what our gathering is all about, to whom we are coming before, and who is to be with us. All kinds of things go into make, having us think about we are ascending, we are going up. All things are, that we are all gathered together, that we are all one in Christ. There's, there's all kinds of things that are built in to church architecture to emphasize and speak to us about these things. And we want to include that as we go and build our church. So, more than learning to worship also. Um, you, you can just think that your kids are coming to watch you worship. And while that's true, they should be learning as they watch you. What you want to be doing from the very beginning is encourage them to join with you in the worship at whatever, at whatever frame they are in right now. The sounds of parents quietly directing or correcting their children, or even the cry of one being taken out for a more personal time of discipline, ought to cause us great delight. You, you, you should not think, I'm being distracted. You should think, this is a delight. The reinforcements are being built up. Just what we're going to need. 
This is what you're hearing. This is what is going on. Another one is being brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Therefore, it ought to be the normal Christian activity that children of all ages are in the worship service. And, and you all know, if you're parents, you, you know that your, your children take in far more than you would guess in the midst of the service. Little children are sponges, soaking in new information at an amazing rate and astonishing us with their comments and responses. Um, One story, one time, someone else was preaching. I was sitting with my children during the sermon. One of my sons, who at the time was about eight or nine years old, was sitting, he was drawing during the sermon, which is what our children would do during sermons. They would draw while they're uh, supposedly listening. Didn't look like they were listening, but you didn't know. But they were being quiet, at least, and still for the moment. The preacher was talking about the doctrine of original sin and mentioned that some taught that children were actually born innocent without any original sin. And my son, who was continuing to draw, leaned over to me and said, that's what Pelagius taught. (laughs) No, they're not getting any of it, are they? Not only are they getting it, they're connecting it with all the other things that they're learning. They They are soaking up so much more than you realize in the service of worship. So everything we are doing is trying to help them be in a situation where they can take in as much as possible. The fact that they cannot articulate all that we impart to them does not stop us from teaching them. Much of what they learn is through imitation and mimicking. I can't sing, gather together for, for our Sabbath dinner or for other gatherings, and sometimes we'll sing the doxology for a quick prayer. We all have to raise our hands because all the, all the little grandkids are looking at us going, it's the doxology, Papa. Why are we raise our hands? They just, they just, now, they can't give you the doctrine of raising hands. They can't give you the doctrine of all that the doxology is saying, but they are joining with you in doing what you know is supposed to be done before the Lord. They're growing up with you in the faith far more than you realize. Let them. Let them. As Jesus said, let the little children come. In fact, being grown up is no guarantee at all that one will learn or comprehend anything. Jesus warned in Luke 10, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. You you talk about how children act and receive faithfully what you taught, what you teach them. Parents, you know this. You can, you can teach your kids all kinds of stuff. And as soon as you teach it, that's, that, that's gospel truth now. They love what they're, what they're hearing from you. They take it in. Um, now, that doesn't mean there aren't questions, or, or, but just especially little ones. You tell them, go this way, they're just going to go that way. They're just going to do what you do, say what you say, imitate. Well, God made it that way. You're supposed to lean into it. You're supposed to go with it. There's far too much doubting whether your children really believe. There's far, far too much of that. You, 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 you just continue to encourage them in their faith. You encourage to discipline them in their faith and because of their faith. And you continue to believe the promises of God and watch God bring the, be true to his promises. That's, what should, that's what's going on. God is clearly communicating, um, and God is clearly capable of communicating with and receiving praise, even from nursing children. Even John the Baptist leapt in the womb of his mother at the sound of, uh, of Mary's voice coming, and uh, who was bearing 
the Lord Jesus at that time. It says, uh, she writes, For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. God is doing far more in your children, even in your infants, than you can see. But you can believe. You can believe. We want our children growing up always thinking that this service is for them and not only for the big people. Now, in order to do this, some assembly is required. Of course, it's not enough to just show up with your children. They need instruction, examples, practice, encouragement, rewards, and correction. There's your list. That's what they need. They need instruction, examples, practice, encouragements, rewards, and correction. Should I go over that again? It's in the notes. You can see it. There can be times when a nursery is prudent. There have been times we've had a nursery when there's been a lot of little ones and, and maybe there's some parents who have a lot of number of kids and they, and they need it. Parents have provided a nursery where they share. We have, we have right now a room for nursing mothers. Um, we will have a training room one day again when we have a, a church building where you can take them just outside and sit maybe in some pews and practice right along with the service. There's different ways that you can help them. But when you do those things, you always want to do it for the short term. You want to be preparing them to be in here with us and not afraid that they might be making a few sounds. However, your goal as a parent then is to instruct your children not simply to sit still and be quiet. That's not the point. That's not the goal. I know it feels like it sometimes. I've been there. I remember. Um, but but it, is, it, is to, it is to be able to control themselves in such a way that they can participate with God's people in the service of worship. So, some practical considerations and suggestions. Make the rules clear. What are the appropriate rules of behavior for your children, considering their frame? Be clear and consistent. Prep them before they walk in. Remind them of what the rules are. Remind them of what they're supposed to do, where they are going, and, and what, what is going to be expected of them. Um, uh, be, so be clear and consistent. Um, talk to them about how they're going to sit, how, how, they, how they should speak if they have a question for you, when to be still, who to look at. Um, you, you should practice this for public worship during your family worship. Use a bench or a set of chairs. Practice um, the steps that you'll be going through. Use the liturgy. Our liturgy is so kid-friendly, it's amazing. What? <laughs> our, our liturgy is so kid-friendly, it is amazing. There are excellent entry points over and over again for children to join, for the youngest of children to enter in with us. Amen at the end of songs and, and uh, end of sermons and the end of prayers. Amen. First word one of my sons ever said was in the worship service where he said, amen. Sounded like this. Ada, but it was amen. He was, me too. I'm with you. Joined right in with the worship. Lifting of hands, as I mentioned. Kneeling and standing. Reciting creeds. Are your children learning as soon as they can talk to recite the creeds with you? Um, sometimes certain phrases of it even before they can talk. But, but going through that. Singing the Lord's Prayer. Your children can learn to sing the Lord's Prayer. Most Christians can't even recite it. Your children will be able to sing it. And, and they'll be able to sing it with meaning. They'll be able to sing it with you at night when, you, when they go to bed. They, they are going to be able to enter into this with you. The doxology, the Gloria Patri. Anticipating the trays of communion. Oh, I see these kids as we're walking down the aisle. And they're just like, yes. They, they get to be a part. They are participating with us. They, they've been fed with the word. And now they, they understand that they get to be, enjoy this communion together with this, with this ceremonial meal. We give this to them. And then those are, those are all practical points that you now teach about. 
and you raise them up and you choose one of them. You talk about it all week long. And then they look forward to joining with you and doing one of those things. It's all through the worship service to bring them in. Prepare them for their needs as well. Some need to burn off energy before the service and show you should let them run around. Uh, play a little soccer out there, whatever's going on. And, and some of others probably need to just quiet down or it's going to be trouble. They need to, be, they need to get ready to settle down. They probably all should use the restroom or get a drink of water, especially if you've traveled any distance to get here. Feel free to get up. Feel free to get up over and over again as necessary in the service. It is a joy to hear them with us, and it is thoughtful for them, for you, for us, at some point to take them out for a short time. And nobody is, is, no, nobody's looking at you cross-eyed about it at all. We are so grateful that you're here training your kids with us. Feel free to sit near an exit towards the back. Um, it, or, or in an aisle so that you can get up easily and, and, and go um, if, you, if you expect that you're going to have to step out. But also remember that toddler worship will look different. It will look different than the old guy sitting next to you. It's, he, he's going to move around a little bit more. He's going to need things during the service and you're going to provide them. And so um, enjoy, participate with them even as they do their own uh, toddler worship. Remember when you are a parent... And also remember when you don't have little ones with you or don't have them anymore, but others do. Remember all of these things. Look for opportunities during the service, after the service, in debrief, before the service, in preparation. Do not be afraid to lean over to your kid and answer a question, take a question, or instruct him. That's it, completely... We're not supposed to come here and go, shh, everybody be quiet. God's sleeping. We don't want to wake him. This is not what's going on. Okay, so... So instruction, a little bit of instruction back and forth is, is, is wonderful. Also, after the sermon, after the service, you go home, you can debrief. You can ask questions over lunch or at dinner the next day. You can use the outlines. You can, you can pick, take, you say, what was your favorite hymn or, or, or psalm this Lord's Day? Okay, we're going to sing that this week. And, and you play with what happened this week as you get ready for next week. And you let, you let the, the, the uh, instruction and questions and anticipation for the next Lord's Day all be a part of family worship, all be a part of the conversation going on at home. Look, this is the most important meeting of the week. It is the most important meeting of the week for you and your children. Lead the way. Dads, lead the way in acting like it. Don't just check that box off theologically. Yes, I understand. I'm reformed after all. I understand this is the Lord's Day worship and that we're supposed to be here. If, if, if you never said the words, would we be able to tell by the way you act during the week? But by the way that you, things spill over for you in, in the conversation with your wife, in the conversation with your kids um, later on in the day or during the week. Or as you talk about in preparation for coming to, to the Lord's Day, this next coming day. It's a big deal. Are you getting ready for it? Are you thinking about it? Are you getting your kids and your wife ready for it as well? Moms, are you doing the same with children? And then also, can you help someone else? Can you help someone else? Are you in a situation where you don't have little ones? But you could take one for part of the service. You, you know someone well, or you can get to know them well. And, and, you, can, and you can take one of those kids for some, some of the time. You can be the one that, if they know you well, you're, you're a, um, a, a borrowed uncle or aunt in some way, and you can, you can pick up and, and walk them out for one of the times that they have to go out. You can just say, hey, let me, let me help you. Um, th when that happens, that's a great offer. That's a great encouragement to young parents. 
And then, finally, to the children. Not just to those who are zero through seven, but to all of the children. It, it really is vital. It really is vital, kids, that you understand this. That you were not placed into the Christian home that you're in, nor into this church by accident. It's vital for you to understand that many, many churches don't allow you to be in the worship service. Or if they allow you, they allow you with frowns. They, they, they are very, very concerned about whether or not you're going to distract people around you. We are not. Let your parents help train you. And of course, you are to learn to, to be able to sit, to pay attention, to look at what's going on, and to join in. But we want you here. We welcome you here because the Lord welcomes you here. It is not by accident that God put you in that family. It is not by accident that you are in this church. You are here. You are here in this place to hear the word of God. And you are here in this place to hear the word of God and respond with faith, with your amen, with your belief. You're here to respond with your own repentance. You know you've sinned, and you know you need to ask God for forgiveness. And you may know that you, you've sinned in such a way you need to lean over and talk to your dad or your mom about asking for forgiveness. You know, that because you hear time and time again, that you've come to the mercy seat because Jesus is full of mercy. And here and only here you re receive forgiveness and cleansing from all your sin. It's gone. He really loves you that much. He really is going to walk with you all the days of your life. He really is going to bless you. And you know what? He's going to bless your children and your children's children one day because he is your God. God placed you very personally into the home that you have and has bestowed his favor upon you and he summoned you by name to this place to be with us, to be a part of God's people. He requires you to obey your parents in their instruction and to believe along the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a faith that he grants you by grace. He's called you here, boys and girls, He's called you here to give you, to give you himself. The God of all the universe has summoned you to be here with his people to give you himself. In and through your baptism, in this word delivered, in the rite of the broken body and bloody blood of Jesus, he is giving you his life. Along with all of these, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So what must you do? You must come. You must come and believe. That's why your parents brought you. God told them to do so. And so when you go out to dinner, when, well, I'm sorry, when they go out to dinner, when they go out to dinner, they get a babysitter or they leave you if you're old enough to go out. When they come to church, they bring you because you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here with them. And all by faith and all by grace in all the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, and so here we are, all gathered before you, before your throne of grace, where your gospel has been declared, your holiness, our sinfulness, your grace sufficient for all who call upon the name of your Son. We pray you would save the oldest among us and the youngest, that your Spirit would have your way with us all, and that together you would be pleased to dwell in Zion among us. We love and praise your most holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.